0: Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet, a weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common, agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the dryland farmer from Hackettstown, New Jersey, on Cat Swamp Road. So, uh, hey, it's been an interesting week over here in Warren County. We had a uh, pretty good snow dump last week, uh, shortly after I uh, recorded the show. Matter of fact, when I was just finished recording the show last week, the power blipped out for a second or two and uh i did not think that was too good but uh anyway it didn't seem to affect anything because i already had recorded it i got to try to figure out what would happen if the power got interrupted while i was recording but hey it wouldn't be the end of the world so i would just have to do the show over again but you know with uh with something like this because i know what i want to talk about and i I make myself a couple of crimp notes, as cheat notes as far as an outline, I scribble it out. But in essence, I know what I want to talk about and what I want to deliver and how to deliver it. But, you know, it's like when you, if you ever put a motor in the car or you or you planted a field or obviously you planted a field, but, you know, lots of times the second time it never comes out as good as the first time. And uh, of course you try too hard or it just doesn't, you know, just doesn't come out the same as it did the first time around but hey that didn't happen but we did end up having i'd say probably a little bit more than a foot of snow and we had uh, a good deal of ice here and that caused quite a bit of havoc in warren county there was a ton of power lines down all over the place we did eventually lose power and uh, we lost it sometime overnight i believe it was monday night into tuesday or tuesday into wednesday i really don't remember anymore the days all seemed to uh, to blend into one, but we lo- I woke up at about three, well, I, I knew it was three o'clock in the morning because I went and got my wristwatch. I woke up about three o'clock in the morning and the power was out. The clock wasn't working, so I knew the power was out, and so I don't know when it went out, whether it went out at, you know, five minutes before that or five hours before that. We went to bed probably about 9.30, my wife and I. So it could have been out for quite some time. Based upon how warm it was in the house, I don't think it was out too long. And then uh, it came back on, thankfully, about 11 o'clock in the morning. I was plowing the snow, and I had the garage open, and I have a little nightlight that I put on in there in case the power of it goes out in the outside, so I could tell the power came back on. And I was plowing, and I all of a sudden I happened to look into the tr- look into the garage and saw the nightlight on. But I did run our... Uh, generator for the first time to power the house which we invested in last year and uh, that worked very 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 well let's say uh, Briggs and Stratton 10,000 watts and I have a whole house transfer switch so all I have to do is plug the generator it's got electric start and plug the generator into um, uh, basically take the transfer switch and kill the utility power move it to off the lever start the generator plug the cable and then move it to generator power on the transit switch and the whole house is powered up so that worked quite well and i had a chance to uh i did obviously test runs prior to that but you know never had the real mccoy and the power was only out like i say for a few uh number of hours and uh, i only ran i think i ran the generator for about two hours so it wasn't too much and uh, then the power came back on but around here there were people without power for three or four days. And actually, the one main road, Route 517, we we're on Cat Swamp Road and 517, and 517 was actually closed for a couple of days because there were so many power lines down. So it was uh, kind of a little, uh, a little bit of a, uh, a fiasco going on here. You know, and interestingly enough, it was probably akin to like a, uh, not as bad as a tornado out in the Great Plains or the Midwest where it hits one ear and hits, and hits it and doesn't hit another is that we had about a foot of snow about six or seven miles away they had about four inches of snow And but it wasn't really the snow that got everything it was the, the ice we probably had about an inch of ice we had snow, ice and then the snow so uh, hey I got a chance to check that out and it worked out very well thank God and we still have plenty of snow and ice on the ground it was supposed to melt by now but that did not happen so c'est la vie right that is life and uh hopefully it's supposed to be 54 degrees today i just looked at the thermometer before i came down to record the show and it's 38 degrees so i don't that's a far far cry from 54 but it is raining and foggy so it's eating up some of the snow so hopefully uh you guys have some better weather and then lose power out by you Uh, the other thing i wanted to uh i always forget to touch on is that my Hot Rod Farmer Minute is on my website under podcasts, and it's also played every week on Ag News Daily on Thursdays. And then on the on Wednesdays, a different episode is aired on uh, the Moving Iron podcast by Casey Seymour. So you could check that out, or you could go to my website and check those out also. I would greatly appreciate it, and I think that you will uh, get great value from it. And so they're, they're tight, I read them because I don't want to ramble on for two hours, so we have to be a tight time frame. And I and I think they 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 are enjoying doing them, and hopefully, God willing, you're getting value out of them. That's what my intention is. So that is that. And let me see what else. I bought a weather station, and I I had a very good, excellent rain gauge, a rain-wise certified rain gauge, wireless. I just had a inexpensive indoor outdoor thermometer and. Uh, the indoor outdoor thermometer was accurate. I had a number of them over the years, but this one something's wrong, with it, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks batteries. I mean, you can't go more than two weeks without killing all the batteries on it. So I uh, invested in a, uh, a Davis Vantage View wireless weather station. I'm very excited about it. I'm hoping for the snow to melt a little bit more, so I could get the tripod stand out, and then get that Vantage View set up and brought into the house, and I could be a uh, have a lot more data for the farm here and just for living out in the country than I would with the rain gauge and the uh, cheapo thermometer. So hopefully maybe tomorrow or the next day uh, I can get that up and running if I could get the snow melted. But hey, we'll see what happens. It gets up when it gets up, right? But the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is that I want to welcome you to this week's Bushels and Cents. And we did it last week for the first time. And this will be the second week. And it's going to be a segment that I'm going to add to the show in the beginning of the show every week. And the reason why I'm doing it is I want to truly drive home the message that success on the farm or ranch, it's always the ranch also, is a three-legged stool. Agronomy or animal husbandry, as I always say, marketing and machinery. And I felt that the best way is to take real-life scenarios and establish to you, my listeners, how a poor decision or inaccurate diagnosis of a machinery issue costs your operation money. And I, as I said last week, and I'm always gonna say, is that I want to close that gap as far as your machinery is concerned. close Metaphorically, close that farm shop door so those profits don't go flying out. But instead of referencing the the potential loss in dollars i will make a reference to it also at corn at three dollars and fifty cents a bushel and i know that you know everyone that's listening we have a very eclectic audience uh all around the world all different crops i know that everyone doesn't grow corn so please you know convert the example to your current prices for the commodity crop you raise so if you're an alfalfa guy if you're a sugar beet guy you you raise table grapes. You'll get the idea. I can't go through here and make uh and that make a reference to five hundred different crops, but you understand what I'm talking about. And never forget, never forget, it's not what you make but what you keep. So this week's bushels, bushels and cents, C E N T S, because it's bushels and money, right? And here we are. So you do not believe that it is necessary to use a lubricity additive with ultra low sulfur diesel fuel. At around 120,000 miles, your diesel pickup bucks once and suffers a loss of power and the service engine soon light comes on, the dreaded SCS light, right? The truck will not now, the truck will now not go above 20 miles per hour. You get it towed to the dealership and they tell you that the common rail pump is shredded internally and put metal in all of the fuel injectors from a lack of lubricity. The repair bill is $8,000 or 2,856 bushels of $3.50 corn, all because you did not want to spend 5 cents per gallon to treat the fuel with an additive. Let this not be you. Alrighty, righty. So, uh, you know, chew on that, think about that, and see what. Uh, and and always, when you look at anything on the farm, compare it to, compare it to um, your crop. How much crop? If you had a combine and it was set wrong, and you were putting twenty eight hundred bushels of corn onto the ground as you were harvesting, you'd jump out of it and make make some sort of connection, All right, some sort of correction. But what I've seen though is that people in the farm shop think, well, that just happens, or oh, the pump goes bad, the thing blows up, this happens, the transmission goes. All right, and most of the time those parts are not uh, are murdered; they do not die. So enough said. Now today's show, what I'm going to be talking about, excuse me, is the uh, the excuse me the lowly radiator cap. And, uh, you know, not much thought is given to the radiator cap on uh, most equipment. And you could have a radiator cap today, well, that's really its proper term is called the pressure cap, not the radiator cap. Because many times today, the system has what's called a surge tank or, or a degas bottle. And that is the highest point in the, in, the, in the cooling system. And that is where the cap would be for the fill point but we'll still call it a radiator cap even though it may not physically be on the radiator. And you know, we've all seen over the years the radiator caps and they all they usually say them never open when hot. So that's uh, never open when hot under pressure. That's our litigious society, right, that we need to be able to uh tell people not to do something when they should know that by common sense. But there is a great misunderstanding about the purpose of the radiator cap. And as we are now going into the winter season people think of a cooling system and cooling system issues predominantly in the summer and a cooling system like most pieces of a, parts of a piece of, of a machine and engine are stressed in temperature extremes so extreme hot and extreme cold and so the cooling system is challenged in a different way in the cold weather than it is during the summer in the hot weather So, and the, the radiator cap, the pressure cap is a key component of the cooling system, but most people give it little to no thought whatsoever. And they, uh, it's basically totally ignored. And a lot of, a lot of cooling system problems that appear to be complex are rooted in that pressure cap. So I felt that it would be time for us to spend an entire show on that because I do get a lot of cooling system questions. And even though I did a show a while back in the archives about uh, a whole cooling system overview that I want, I felt it was important for us to to now go back, not every week, but go back over time and break those different components of the cooling system apart. And then you really do a deep dive into them where you could not do in in a generic show. So, you know... You're gonna find every liquid cooled engine today, regardless of the application, is going to have some sort of pressure cap. And that basically started after World War Two. Prior to World War Two, we used to have an Oliver a Row Crop 70 uh par when I was a kid. There was a tricycle with a Continental Engine in it. We actually when my family bought the farm my grandparents bought the farm in 1954, that that tractor was on our farm already. And uh, Mr. Pyle, P-Y-L-E, owned this farm and my family bought it from him and the tractor came with it. It was a 1937 Oliver Hart Par Row Crop 70 tricycle uh, with a three-gear transmission and that was the first tractor i drove as a kid i mean you you learned very quickly to uh when you held that steering wheel to dry, draw, hold it with your thumbs up because if you hit a rock in the field the tricycle wheel would whip and that uh like a the steering wheel would whip like a propeller and rip your thumbs right off but uh but anyway so that that tractor did not have a a pressure cap it had a cap on the radiator which was more of a lid to keep the coolant in, so it wasn't sloshing out so you could fill it up but it did not have any spring and a gasket, and it. it had a gasket to stop it from leaking. But uh, it did not have any ways means of building pressure. And we have to understand that a liquid, when it is heated, it expands, and when it, and, and and that is why there is a pressure cap because as the expansion comes, we have to be it, it has to be able to have a safety valve. And we're going to get into that a little bit. I don't want to get ahead of my head, ahead of my head, ahead of myself here with this. But there's two types of pressure in a cooling system, and you know, I, don't, I want to make this simplistic. I don't want to get mired in physics, but there is a physics component to it, and I want to basically touch on it enough for you to understand. And as you know, as I go along with idle chatter and go along with my website and the Hot Rod Farmer Minute, I want to draw you to a higher level of understanding and a higher level of knowledge. So a lot of times I may discuss something or go to a level that is beyond what you truly need to understand, but will give you the foundation to be able to apply physics and theory and science to different things on the farm, your machinery, but 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 other things also. So it's it's oh you know, education is never lost but I also don't want to lose focus of the fact of the purpose of idle chatter is to make you more efficient in your farm shop and to bring a level of efficiency and reliability to your equipment so that you can have a greater level of profitability. All right. So the liquid in the cooling system is raised in pressure by expansion through heating, and that is called vapor pressure and via the resistance in flow through the engine cooling jackets, radiator, and water pump. So there's two components there that are actually raising the pressure in the system. It's the heating, it's the expansion of the coolant, the coolant through heating, so which is which will be identified as vapor pressure. And then there is the resistance of flow, which is hydraulic flow, which is like a hydraulic system or a garden hose. There's the resistance of flow through the cooling system. Now, if you look at an engine, the coolant goes through the cylinder head, goes through the block, water, pump, heater, core, radiator, and it's making twists and turns. It's making right angles. There's frictional flow losses through the, uh, the, the engine because of the, the castings. Uh, there's different size passages. So the, so the coolant system pressure, that is the, 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 the pressure, the cumulative effect of the pressure is from the expansion of the coolant from heating, but also the opposition to flow through the engine. So think of a garden hose, right? If you have a garden hose and you turn the hose on, you have no nozzle on it, then you have a lot of flow, but you have no pressure if you now put a nozzle on it and you open up the nozzle a a, a little bit you will have not much flow but you will have a high pressure so it's a pressure flow relationship just like a a hydraulic system on a tractor or any hydraulic system a braking system is the same thing hydraulic braking right so the thing is that but you need to recognize that the pressure is also created in this system because of the restriction in flow and a fluid a fluid does not like to make turns so whenever you ask a fluid to make turns or go to a smaller hole than to a larger hole it's going to affect its flow rate so these two different effects are cumulative and they will result in the pressure that is held in the cooling system or created in the cooling system now years back when the radiator was vented to atmosphere pressure was created but to a lower level since it was allowed to escape. So on the old Oliver, we had a cap on there, it was had a gasket on it, so as I said, so the fluid didn't come out, the, the, we used to run water in it, all right, so the water didn't come out, but there was no way for it to maintain pressure, and the pressure would, in all intents and purposes, leak out, and you could open that cap when it was when the engine was hot, because there was no real vapor pressure built, and the amount of pressure in the cooling system because at that particular point you idled the engine down was only from the flow restriction of going through the different parts of the system so for for this for what i want to discuss today is we're going to be concerned only with the pressure from thermal expansion also known as vapor pressure And then the movement of the coolant through the engine passages is deemed as hydraulic pressure. So there's vapor pressure and hydraulic pressure, just like a hydraulic system. But the the pressure cap we're going to discuss today is, uh, we're only going to talk about the thermal expansion, the vapor pressure. But as you will see as we get along into this, is that it has something to do also with the hydraulic movement, not the hydraulic pressure, but the hydraulic movement through the cooling system. So to, for you to understand, and you know, understanding anything in life, understanding is the key to it because so many people try to go to school, they go, well, I don't care what it is, and they try to remember something. And there are things in life that you gotta remember, and you have. To, but the fact of the matter is when it comes to most things mechanical, you need to have an understanding. And understanding is paramount paramount to success and then remember remembering stuff remembering fire orders remembering specifications remember a spark plug gap would have you that's what books are for all right? so hey and as i always said you know if you do it often enough you can remember the spark plug gap and that you can remember the firing order but the thing is to understand so to understand why the cool why the cooling system is pressurized you need to look no further than your kitchens all right and if your wife has a pressure cooker in there that's going to be our example what a pressure cooker does is allow food to be prepared quicker and with less water since it operates at a higher temperature but how does that pressure cooker achieve that all right so we use the word pressure cooker and that's going to be a key here so i'm going to bring you along this way so now for basic physics, whether it's the radiator on your tractor, your car, or the pressure cooker in, in, in your kitchen, on your kitchen stove, for every one pound per PSI, when it, for every pound of pressure over atmospheric pressure, a liquid's boiling point is raised three degrees Fahrenheit. And I should have done the conversion for the people around the world for Celsius, and I apologize for that, I just thought of that now. But anyway, it's raised three, de- I'm so used to thinking English, three degrees Fahrenheit. So whereas water will boil at around 212 degrees at atmospheric pressure if it is exposed to 15 pounds per square inch, and that's a common radiator pressure cap uh, rating years ago. Now we have caps up to 21 pounds. And we'll discuss that at the end. But 15 pounds was more or less the industry standard. It, the boiling point will now be 45 degrees higher because it's three pounds of uh, three PSI times 15, um, uh, th- three pounds per square, excuse me. It's, it's three degrees for every, for, for every, I don't know what I'm doing here. All right, for, ev- for, ev- for every uh, pound of pressure, it's three degrees. So it's three times 15. So we would raise the boiling point 45 degrees. So now, if you had pure water in a cooling system, and you had a 15-pound cap, the water would boil at 257 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 212 degrees plus the 45, all right? So one pound of pressure raises the boiling point three degrees. Now, we also have to consider that altitude comes into this so altitude is going to determine the boiling point that's why if you were to ask your wife and she's looking at a recipe and you live high up in the mountains of montana that they will give they usually say a different cooking time or and so altitude will raise this all right or impact this. i shouldn't say raise it at higher altitude there's less atmospheric pressure so water will boil at quicker than two at a lower temperature not quicker a lower temperature than 212 degrees so the higher the elevation, your farmers from sea level, the lower the boiling point of any liquid, not just in the radiator, and it's whether it's in the kitchen stove or in your engine. And this is due to the to the the le- to less atmospheric mass on that liquid. Remember that air has weight to it, and atmosphere has weight to it. The way God made us, we do not feel it, but atmosphere has weight to it. So the higher up you are in altitude that you, your, the water there may boil at 206 degrees instead of 212 degrees, all right? So keep that in mind. And that's why years ago when they had, a, back in the 50s and 60s when they didn't have a, a, a they had more of an open cooling system they had a pressure cap, but the guy would go up the mountain to Colorado with Pikes Peak on a hot summer day and you have to add coolant, they would spit the coolant down when he got there because the boiling point was lower at the top of Pike's Peak than it was at the bottom of the mountain. But heat transfer, and that's what the coolant is for. Remember, the coolant is to, tra- the, the radiator does not cool the engine. The liquid cools the engine, and the radiator takes heat from the liquid. So heat transfer from an, from any engine to the liquid is based on the temperature differential. A higher boiling point allows more heat to be removed from the engine, Due to the larger spread, the differential between the ambient temperature and the coolant in the radiator. So just remember, basic physics. We all know this: hot goes to cold. So that the heat transfer, so the higher the, the higher the boiling point, the more heat that you could take out of the engine. And this is where people get confused because you want a coolant that boils at a higher temperature because the amount of heat transfer, once it goes from a liquid to a gaseous state, it ramps down dramatically, all right? So if, you know, I always tell people, and I did a podcast on this, the, about opening the hood, about, about heat soak and the detriment of heat soak on engines and electronics. But, you know, when you open the hood and expose a hot engine on a 90 degree day and do the same thing on a 30 degree day, in, in five or 10 minutes, the engine will be much colder, right? Empirically, we notice on the cold day than in a warmer one. So if you were to take an engine and let's say it's running at 220 degrees liquid temperature and, an, and you shut it off on a 90 degree day and you come back and measure the temperature of that engine, it's going to be hotter than if you had the 220 degree cold, open the hood and came back in 10 minutes on a 30 degree day because hot goes to cold. So the amount of heat transfer is going to be linked to the temperature differential between the atmosphere and the liquid. All right? So, as we said, you know, hot goes to cold and as the, as it, as the as the atmosphere becomes becomes hotter, then there's less thermal transfer. So, we have basically in essence what we have here is that we are using the pressure cap to raise the boiling point of the coolant. And if we raise the boiling point of the coolant, then what will happen is that we make it more of an effective medium because if we had pure water at 212 degrees, arguably, inside the the cylinder head it would turn to a vapor and it would no longer have any heat transfer and what would happen is the temperature of the cylinder head casting would keep going up due to the combustion but at 212 degrees the amount of heat transfer would the the effectiveness of the heat transfer would would be greatly diminished by putting a 15 pound radiator cap on there three pound three degrees for every pound we raise that temperature the boiling temperature to 257 degrees so now that water in that engine becomes an effective cooling medium medium to pull heat out of the cylinder head which is the hardest part of the engine to cool out of the cylinder head and why it's the hardest because the combustion event happens there and allows for more heat to be pulled out of the cylinder head so that the engine doesn't s- suffer from thermal stress right so that is the purpose of the pressure cap that's main purpose number one but there is a second purpose to the pressure cap that we need to recognize and the other purpose of a pressurized cooling system is to move the coolant through the cylinder head now what is going to happen is that under high engine load and a lot of people don't understand this because they don't see a change in the temperature gauge but in the high engine load the coolant will actually boil at the contact point around the combustion chamber and become a vapor and whether this is water 50 50 uh ethylene glycol and water uh 50 50 um propylene glycol water any type of cold at one particular point it's going to reach its boiling point the ideal is to push the boiling point up as far as possible so that you could remove more heat from the casting but under load the thermal load on an engine is is not is is transient so in other words so let's say you're pulling a load of grain to town in the semi and you're on. You 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 get nice flat land, and you're going, and you're going 65 miles per hour. And now you come to a long grade. Maybe it's 65 miles an hour to pull that load, based upon the weight of the truck, the rolling resistance, the aerodynamic resistance, the weight of the load. Let's say arguably that engine is make, needs to make only 150 horsepower to to move that load at that speed. All right. So that's all wonderful. 150 horsepower. So You're using the amount of fuel. To produce 150 horsepower, and then also the the remember what fuel what what happens inside an engine the combustion event actually is a chemical to mechanical energy exchange. So the burning of the fuel the combustion event takes chemical energy which is in the fuel its heat energy which we register as BTU. It's a caloric. A caloric value british thermal units and we take that and then it can and it's converted to mechanical energy of driving the piston so now you come and you're coming to this long grade right? so i'm not you know i'm not saying downshift or anything. you're coming to this long grade and now you have to pull the semi loaded with grain you have to move the semi up this long grade so now all of a sudden this engine may needs to make 350 horsepower to maintain a speed that you wanted with the semi, to maintain your speed 65 miles up this hill. So now the engine is using more fuel, and if it's using more fuel, it's going to have a hotter combustion event all right now this is not to be confused so much with exhaust gas temperature because we're reading this in the cylinder because somebody can say "Hey, oh, yeah, that hot rod formula, i don't know what the hell he's talking about because i can watch my egt's and they don't go up that much they go up a little bit they don't go up that much but you have to remember what you're reading in the exhaust gas temperature on any engine gasoline or diesel is the residual heat that was not used to expand against the piston all right so but now if you're climbing the hill you make it, the engine needs to make 350 horsepower it's burning more fuel and it's putting more heat into the combustion chamber and that ex, that that, that the, the 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 more fuel allows for a more powerful expansion event and, and a higher rate of chemical to mechanical energy exchange and the truck goes up the hill all righty so when this is happening when you're cruising down the road flat land, but staying with our 150 horsepower. The cylinder head temperature, the surface temperature of the cylinder head is lower than it would, would be when you're climbing the hill. So now the coolant that is going through what we call the water jacket in the cylinder head has a very easy task to be able to control that temperature and pull the heat out of it because it's not it's acting like a sponge. Remember, the coolant inside the water jacket is like a sponge. It's absorbing the heat, so now, when you're climbing the hill, all right, this coolant needs to absorb more heat. But what what will go on is that at one particular point, it will not be able to absorb any more heat because it's going to reach its vapor pressure, its boiling point, when it converts from a liquid to a gaseous state, and that's and and expands. That's why it is called vapor pressure. Now, and you know, and this happens. You know, at any time with any type of coolant, there is a vapor pressure. If you look at, uh, even if you look at pesticides and, and liquid fertilizers, there's, they'll tell you a vapor pressure of that, all right? So now, when the coolant becomes a vapor, ninety 97%, almost 100%, only 3% of its thermal transferability is lost. So only 3% is left. So when it becomes a vapor, 97% of its ability to take heat out of that cylinder head disappears gone gone it's like a it's it's, it's like, like like a hailstorm wiping your crop out there's it's doing absolutely nothing so the pressure created by the radiator cap right the pressure cap now forces the liquid and vapor to release from the the head casting in the water jacket wall it then recondenses and allows lower temperature liquid to come in contact with the surface of the cylinder head to cool it. And this goes on in the cylinder head with every liquid cooled engine, not just the diesel, anything, is that the that the amount of temperature in the cylinder head is gonna be intrinsically linked to the load on the engine, which is intrinsically linked to the amount of fuel it's burning. So when a liquid becomes a vapor, 97 percent of its thermal transfer is gone so it's basically hardly doing anything so what happens now is that you know remember years ago when we had carburetor cars you get a hot day or something like that and then the car would stall big people say it was vapor lock but what it basically was it was the gasoline the gasoline was turning to a vapor and it was and it was not flowing through the line to the carburetor and the carburetor doesn't run on the vapor, it runs on liquid gasoline. So functions on liquid gasoline since they run. And so what will happen is that if you have a vapor bubble in the cylinder in the cylinder which you would get at the boiling point, the phase change of the of the of the coolant, it has the very good possibility of it not wanting to move away so it would be like an air bound hydraulic system when you're bleeding the brakes you're 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 getting the air out so there's a solid stream of hydraulic fluid so if you have an air pocket in the hydraulic braking system you know what you have no brake pedal right you're pumping it's not applying the, the either the calipers or the brake shoes because there's no hydraulic action because remember a fluid is incompressible but What happens is that now you get this air pocket in the cylinder head because of the coolant boiled. Now, it's going to be very difficult for this air pocket to move due to the roughness of the casting, the different twists and turns in the cooling system and what have you, all those things we discussed. So the second purpose of the radiator cap, the pressure cap, is to build pressure in the radiator so it will force the liquid and vapor to to recondense and move away from that part and so, so it actually pushes it, all right. So it's like a plunger cleaning out a toilet, right? You're using you're pushing, you're pushing whatever the clog is through the pipe. So the pressure cap not only raises the boiling point of the liquid, so it becomes a better sponge, right? A more effective sponge. Could suck more heat out. It becomes a bigger sponge even though it physically is not larger, but a more efficient sponge. And then, it's also going to use that pressure. So when that vapor bubble co- and that's called nucleate boiling inside the cylinder head. So when that nucleate boiling occurs, that it takes that air pocket. That what's not an air pocket? It's a vapor pocket. That vapor pocket and pushes it away, right? Like like cleaning up, like like taking the clog out of a sink, right? clears away and the new fresh liquid that is waiting behind it that was traffic jammed because it couldn't get through because of the vapor bubble there the vapor lock thing vapor lock it's the same thing it's happening inside the cylinder that vapor lock and it pushes it away and then then fresh coolant meaning coolant that has not gone into the cylinder head yet comes in it's at a lower temperature the cylinder head is very hot and due to the differential between the high temperature and the lower temperature coolant is the heat is pulled out of the zone and that is how a cooling system works so it uses the pressure cap to help recondense the vaporized coolant into to push it away from the 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 the, the site that is hot and then allow liquid to come in contact so let's recap here before we move on now so in essence the the reason for the for the reason for the um, pressure cap is to raise the boiling point of the liquid one ps uh, one three degrees for every psi. I put my my tongue back in my mouth, right? And three degrees for every psi. So for every pound of pressure over atmospheric, you will raise the boiling point of the coolant three degrees, and the the coolant will boil at a lower temperature the higher the altitude, but the one PSI three degrees stays the same regardless of the altitude, all right? So it's just the boiling point of the liquid, but the the pressure will raise, one pound of pressure will raise the liquid boiling point three degrees. So that's the one purpose of the pressure cap. The second purpose of the pressure cap is when the engine is under load, and nucleate boiling occurs in the cylinder head because of the superheating of the combustion chamber surface temperature from the from the the load on the engine needing to produce more power using more fuel. It has more potential energy, more BTUs. More fuel means more BTU, right? And British thermal units. It's a caloric value, as I said and the coolant boils is that this pressure that's that's created, this 15 pounds of pressure is gonna be like a plunger and push that vaporized coolant away from that hot spot, that superheated spot, and allow fresh coolant to come in contact and then cool that cylinder head casting. So that is the reason for a pressure cap. Now, when you think about it, that pressure cap, and we, we people give it no thought, right I mean I had guys that you know whatever, they built they built the thirty had thirty thousand dollar motors built right, and they put a 20 year old pressure cap on it there, yeah, nothing wrong with this thing. It looks good. The spring is still on it, and the gasket looks all right right so it, I hope that you now see that there is such a such a uh, paramount paramount importance. Of that pressure cap in the function of the cooling system so now let's talk about signs of a weak or failed pressure cap and historically they're usually weak the spring becomes weak and then it allows the pressure to escape whether it's if it, whether it has an external uh, overflow tube or it has a surge tank or what they call a degas gas bottle what have you and as i said the function of this is is the same regardless if the cap is on the radiator or it's on a de-gas aeration bottle whatever it makes no difference it's still the whole idea is to raise the boiling point of the coolant and to push the coolant through the system all right when it is going into a boiling state so if the pressure cap is fail is failing or is failed you could have these potential problems number 1 coolant is pushed out on the high thermal load so if you have an engine, and like I said, regardless of whether it's an overflow tank or surge tank, degas bottle, whatever you want to call it, and it starts to push the coolant out because even if it's a degas bottle or a surge tank, it always has some sort of escape port on it that it allows that if the, if the, if the fluid over expands too much or you overfill it, it has, a, it has an escape port on it. So if you are constantly pushing coolant out of the, the system, then we need to look at that pressure cap, all right? Number two, a chronically low level requiring more top-ups. Now, that kind of goes with number one, but sometimes you may not be able to see the coolant leaking or being pushed out. You may be working in the field and it's pushing out and dripping or what have you, all right? So if you have an engine that all of a sudden that was chronically consuming more coolant than it normally does, and remember that phase change that I spoke about—that nucleate boiling, that nucleate boiling over time will consume coolant, and that's a natural phenomena. So, but it's the amount of coolant it consumes, or that 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 cooling system, that that. that uh, f- boiling and recondensing boiling and recondensing will consume some of the coolant that's not that's that's a normal phenomena all right and if the engine is worked very hard then that nucleate boiling is taking place and that 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 phase change and recondensing is taking place at a greater rate and then what will happen is that what will happen is that you will use boil off more coolant so that na- that's natural number three a collapsing or partially collapsing lower radiator hose, which results in higher engine operating temperatures. All right, so now what you will do is that lots of times you'll have an engine start to run hot. And if, because the radiator, the bottom hose is the suction hose and the top hose is the pressure hose. So the bottom hose is the suction hose. So if you don't have maintain enough pressure, and that's why lots of those hoses have a spring in them. Not all of them have a spring in them, but lots of them have a spring in them to stop them from collapsing, all right? And when when the suction side of the pump is high, so it's creating a lot of suction. But if you have a radiator cap that is not building sufficient pressure, then that engine may very well, depending upon the hydraulic layout of it, may very well have a propensity to start to suck that radiator or hose closed on the bottom. And now, usually, that happens at higher RPM. So you could have an engine, whether it's an tractor, whether it's in a truck, whether it's a car, and you're going at lower RPM. The cooling system is working fine. And now, all of a sudden, you're putting more load on it and raising the RPM or pulling down a gear. All right, you got that semi. You go and pulling that load of grain right to the market, to the elevator, and you, you drop down a gear. And now you're running twenty, uh, you're running sixteen hundred RPM instead of thirteen hundred RPM, and the engine starts to get hot. Or a tractor in the field, combine, what have you keep in mind that as you release the thermal load on the engine meaning that not asking it to make so much power and that the rpm is lower all right then that hose will now expand back out you're not going to suck it closed all right but the thing is that usually if you have a radiator hose lower hose that's going to suck closed because of a a uh, defective a failing pressure cap You could usually raise the rpm up because it's more of a function of pump speed Uh, a, a, a water pump is a centrifugal a centrifugal type of pump it has an impeller and a volute so it's more a function of pump speed but keep in mind that as we said earlier that the temperature and the vapor pressure is going to affect that so so if you have an engine that is starting to run hot, at, and if you could, if you could qualify, that it's at higher RPM and load, it's very possible that the pressure cap is weak and the bottom hose is 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 sucking it may not be closing all the way it may be partially closing which is a restriction right they like taking a garden hose and 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 closing it off a little but don't think it has to close all the way it normally doesn't close all the way or it normally just restricts the flow and then it restricts the flow and it keeps the the liquid in the radiator and not going into the engine all right so the pressure, so with defective pressure cap has the propensity to cause that. So you have an overall higher engine operating temperature without a lower hose collapse. All right. So you have no lower hose collapse. You're able to qualify that, that the hose has a spring in it. So it's not collapsing, but you have a higher operating temperature. Well, why would you have a higher operating temperature? Because what is going on is that you're not having that pressure the second component of the radiator cap to move that coolant away when it's boiling so it's sitting in the cylinder head and boiling becoming a vapor and as i said earlier on a few minutes back when the liquid becomes a vapor 97 percent of its thermal transferability goes away is gone so now, depending upon where that that engine is reading the liquid temperature, a lot of big you know a lot of engines on the farm have a cylinder head temperature gauge also. so they look at liquid temperature and they which may be in the intake manifold or by the water pump, but they look at cylinder head temperature. So the thing is that if you are not if you are not able to move that boiled coolant that vaporized coolant away from that site, that cylinder that very quickly is gonna really ramp up in temperature. And you know, keep in mind that if you constantly thermal cycle that cylinder head because you have a high, what we call thermal excursion. In engineering, you call it an excursion. It goes up high because, it's, because the cap is not working. You will crack that cylinder head. And a lot of diesel engines are experiencing cracks on that. I'm not saying they're all because of bad pressure caps, but the the metals today, the castings, are not as thick as they used to be to save weight. So what's happening is that you will have a, you will have you over many cycles, like deep cycling a battery, you will basically go and you will you will crack that cylinder that or drop a valve seat out, which is disastrous, all right? And then the fifth thing is on a gasoline engine is a propensity for it to ping or knock because if you have a propensity for it to ping or knock that's usually indicative of the cylinder head becoming superheated of the engine running hotter so that is something that you need to think about now most modern engines years ago used to use 15 pounds employ a minimum of 15 pounds but you'll see a lot of engines today that have a 21 pound pressure cap. And it's for all the reasons that I said, that they wanna have a higher boiling point so they could pull more heat out, make the cooling system more effective, all right? And when it does boil, they, excuse me, wanna have the higher pressure to move that coolant through that system and not to have any issues and to have a constant flow of a solid mass of liquid coolant and not vaporized coolant in the system. You know, if you have an older piece of equipment and it was purchased, used, I mean the guy it, there was a mindset years ago with engines that, you know, if you have a leaky radiator, a weak radiator, a heater, core, or something, water pump, put a seven pound cap on it. And uh, you know, and, and that's like to me, that's like putting your finger in a vice and then popping pain pills or Advil, all right? Because your finger hurts, you know, take it out of the device. So I'm not saying that that's not a good protocol. You're, broke, you're on the side of the road someplace, you're hundred miles back from the farm, hundred miles from the farm, and the radiator starts to leak, or the water pump starts to leak, and it's pouring out of there. You could take your, your 15 or your 21 pound cap and loosen it up so it doesn't build pressure. And if it doesn't build pressure, obviously it's not gonna leak as great to get you home. But a seven pound cap, which a lot of people used to put on older engines. So you buy a piece of equipment that's used or older, somebody may have put a seven pound cap on there. And you wonder why this thing runs hot or has a lot of problems. So the thing is that, you know, keep that in mind. And then, but, and you'd wanna put at least, you'd wanna put what the factory wants. And if the engineer who designed that engine wants a 15 pound cap, you're not gonna re-engineer it and put a seven pound cap on it. And like I said, and that's the reason why people do it. They They think that they're not stressing the cooling system. You know, the best way to check a pressure cap is to replace it with a new one with the proper rating. There are pressure cap checking tools. It doesn't really pay for you to invest in one on the farm. Radiator caps, pressure caps are very inexpensive. I mean, they're probably ten, eleven dollars. The most, maybe fifteen dollars. So, if you have an older cap, if some of those things are coming up that I said in question, replace the cap. Make sure you bleed the air out of the cooling system. Put the cap on there and go from there. So, this is an, a particular instance where it's cheaper and more effective to replace it with a known new one good one instead of trying to buy a $200 radiator pressure cap tester and using it once in 20 years all right so so keep so keep that in mind so let's recap very quickly that the reason for the pressure cap on any cooling system is to raise the boiling point of the coolant and to help move the coolant when it becomes vaporized in the water jacket of the cylinder head to move it away from the vaporization site the mm-hmm. nucleate boiling site is the proper term and allow that coolant because once you take that that vapor bubble and move it away from that that hot spot in the combustion chamber the temperature of it's going to drop it's going to recondense and it's going to allow fresh liquid to come into that area of the combustion chamber. And this happens in the cylinder head. It does not happen in the block. It does not happen in the intake manifold. And it happens in the cylinder head around the combustion chamber. And it's usually more prone around the exhaust valve because that's the hottest part of the combustion chamber. But the combustion chamber is so small that it I mean, the temperature differential from one side to the other is not that great. But keep in mind that this is happening. This boiling scenario is happening inside, inside the cylinder head, and what we would call the water jacket, which is a leftover term from when they cooled engines with water. All right, is, uh but it's actually you know, a coolant jacket, so it's not a water jacket. But we did the industry did keep that term so now if you have any questions any concerns any issues about anything please feel free to contact me at hot rod pharma at farm machinery com. and now it is time for our toolbox test and you were on test number two question three and the, and you know the toolbox test each week uh, since we've started this and added this has been brought to you by Agro Liquid Fertilizer from St. John's, Michigan. And they are a high efficiency fertilizer. And, you know, as I said to you before, and I'm saying it again, is that I'm an Agro Liquid farm. And I like efficiency, and I like to have high efficiency, and it's imperative with today's crops to have to get the highest yield to not throw you know don't just you know the ideas of just throwing n p and k out there and then loading it up and say hey, what the hell throw it out there let's go if a little is good a lot must be better is not the key to success it's not environmentally sound and it's not agronomically sound so what agro liquid is is a high efficiency liquid fertilizer that's perfectly calibrated crop nutrition and you know, just like we were talking about the cooling system and the pressure cap and the vaporization and the the, the boiling point and moving, you know, calib- you know, properly calibrated anything. If you have a pressure cap that's not calibrated right, it all goes to hell, right? None of that is gonna work, right? Because it's opening too soon and not building the pressure. Well, same thing is with fertilizer you need perfectly calibrated crop nutrition to be the most successful as far as your yield and the health of your well if the healthy crop is going to make a uh, make a make a good yield right so i am going to challenge you agroliquid is bringing to you the toolbox test each week don't believe me all right go to agroliquids website research over the winter what they have to offer contact their representative and let them tell you and explain to you i can't explain to you here all about fertilizer i'm not a, i'm not a fertility expert i'm an engine guy all right but i know enough to know that if you look at the agro liquid program for your farm that you will become an agro liquid dealer and i want to thank agro liquid for for sponsoring this toolbox test the past few weeks and bringing to you this information which has nothing to do with fertilizer but before we get into this test as usual we gotta invite tex rubinowitz from ripsaw records in, and he is going to sing the hot rod man because hey you know he's got that high pressure cap on there so he can make this hot rod music go so sing it tex rod man yeah i'm a hot rod man oh, look out little going get you all righty texas uh, he's hot rod that he's running i think he told me he's running a 22 pound cap there because he wants to turn up the wick on that bad boy he's got an old flathead ford right got a hot rod so all right so we're box test number two question number three and as I always say to you, don't be concerned whether the answer is A, B, C, or D. Be concerned with what the proper answer is, all right? So your brother, your brother lent you his one-year-old three-quarter ton diesel pickup truck to use for a few weeks while he was on vacation. You are considering buying one, so you welcome the opportunity for the extended test drive. He uses the truck for his agronomy consulting business and drives about 35,000 miles per year. When you had his truck, you used it to check cattle and go to 10 miles from your ranch to town a few times a week. A day or so before he came home, when you started the engine, the display on the dashboard said that an active regeneration was required and to drive the truck at highway speeds for one hour. Startled by this, you park it and wait for your brother to return. He tells you that he has never seen this prompt before in thirty-five thousand miles, but not to worry, if the truck is still under warranty, right? So the next day, your brother drives to a client's farm one hundred miles away, and the and the trip, the truck on that trip, the truck used more fuel than normal, but everything was fine, and the prompt on the dashboard went away. You both think that the truck must have some gremlins in it. You mentioned it to some friends after church and this is what they said. Okay, Farmer A said, says that due to how you use the truck, the diesel particulate filter became soot loaded and that prompted the need for the active regeneration. Farmer B, adamant about all new trucks being junk, said that is why he still drives a 1992 F-150. There's always one of those in the group, right? the clock stopped at a certain year farmer c claims that the system has a problem and it will come back again maybe a loose wire and farmer d believes that the truck has defective or contaminated def in the tank so that basically is our question and after we get done with the special delivery letter today we will give you the proper proper answer all right so special delivery as always is brought to us they allow me to deliver it to you by firestone ag harvey firestone farmer columbian ohio grew up plowing fields and and and, and doing everything harvesting crops so he was a fourth generation farmer and harvey dreamt of putting rubber tires on farm tractors because he knew what value it brought the cars and his innovative mindset is the core of firestone ag today and lives on with their 23 degree tread bar design tire the ad2 technology the if and vf tires and now the firestone of replacement tracks the soil is the lifeblood of your farm trust it only to firestone all right so now we're going to have our letter here and our letter is from ralph hartwig in south carolina And he writes, my older Massey Ferguson tractor with a Perkins diesel started to run rough and misfire and had a lack of power. I checked the fuel system and turbo and eventually ended up taking the valve cover off to check the valves. I noticed that one exhaust valve was very tight and hanging open. I set the lash on it, and the engine runs fine now. Should I be concerned? Well, yes, you should be concerned, uh, Mr. Hartwig, because that is what is called valve seat recession. And the valve is actually starting to pull through the cylinder head. Now, it's actually eroding and eating the seat away. Now, why is it eating the seat away? It could be a number of things. Uh, Historically, valve seat recession occurs on the exhaust valve, because as we were speaking about the core it's the hotter, hotter, hotter of the two valves. And then the intake valve is cooler, even though it's in the combustion chamber, but it can also happen on the intake valve. But what I would basically do, or if I were you, you adjusted the valve, i probably depending upon how much you use the tractor maybe in 100 150 hours or so or before if it starts to run poorly again pull the valve cover off and measure that valve lash again as the valve starts to recede which means pull through the cylinder head it's going to close up the lash the free play the clearance and that is going to be a problem now valve seat recession occurs quite often because you were not good and i'm not saying you sir but the person was not good about adjusting the valves and if then and if the valve just starts to wear normally and the gap the, not the gap the um the clearance increases the valve is not opening as much and the valve itself runs hotter and the seat runs hotter and it pounds the seat and and it starts to create valve seat recession so it is something for you to keep an eye on hopefully god willing that you did not damage it that the valves probably needed to be adjusted and that's why i did a podcast on valve adjustment you could go back in the archives and listen to it but that is in essence what the what it is it's called valve seat recession it's not to be ignored and hopefully god willing uh hopefully god willing that you were able to catch it in time and that you were able to adjust the valve and you could go many 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 years longer without any problem but if it starts to tighten back up again that valve is pulling through the head and you're going to have to pull that cylinder head off and then have the seats have the seats redone on it on all of the valves not just that all right so now so any questions mr hartwig or anybody else at valve seed recession as always please feel free to contact me and i'll repeat the email address again it is hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com all right so now get back to our question about the about the regeneration cycle farmer a is correct you expose your brother-in-law's pickup truck to numerous starts and short driving cycles, which cause the DPF, the diesel particulate filter to becomes loaded with soot and not burn off with a passive regeneration cycle and then so a passive cycle so when your brother took the truck back and he went on the road it was an active cycle the system that he was driving long enough at highway speeds and why the engine used more fuel is that during regen it has to put fuel into the dpf well actually puts it into the SE uh into the uh diesel uh oxidation catalyst to make heat to burn off the dpf all right what a passive cycle is that the way you're driving the vehicle there's enough heat generated without additional fuel being introduced for it to cre- have enough heat to for it to get at least five to six hundred degrees and there people argue about the number to turn the soot to ash and that's what the regen cycle does is turns the soot to ash so that basically is our uh, our answer and, and kudos to all of you who got it right and if you didn't get it right, that's fine also because now you know the answer and that is what it's all about. So listen, thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for, uh, for being a hot rod farmer. And I, just, and I want you to always know, and I always close this way, that a hot rod farmer, I'm pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher and my beloved, beloved America. So you have a great day.